The following programming is sponsored by the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation. The views expressed do not necessarily reflect the views of this station, its management, or Beasley Media Group. Hello and welcome to Positively Pro-Life Podcast. Positively Pro-Life is brought to you by the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation and aims to bring you inspirational stories and conversation, important legislative updates and informative interviews as we seek to restore and strengthen a culture of life. I'm your host, Ramu Tenney, Education Director at the Federation, and I'm joined today as always by Maria Gallagher, our Acting Executive Director. Welcome, Maria, to the podcast. Thank you so much, Remo. It's great to be with you today. Yeah, it's always good to have you. And now we all know that we have our local communities where we know there is a lot of grassroots level education and advocating to be done uh, to establish a culture of life. But this fight for life is not exclusive to our country alone. The issue of rights for the unborn, real compassionate care for the elderly, and many other human rights violation issues abound across the globe. So today, we are checking in with Human Life International to get a glimpse of what is happening internationally in the life movement. Stay tuned while Maria expounds on the fact that abortion is not healthcare. Remmel, an interesting thing happened recently when the governor of Pennsylvania posted on the social media platform X, formerly known as Twitter. His post encompassed just three words. Abortion is healthcare. Now, out of curiosity, I decided to check out the comments below Democrat Governor Josh Shapiro's post. In the three minutes after this post hit X, he had triggered seven comments, all of the negative. All of the commentators pointed out the life-ending nature of abortion. This is the real problem with pro-abortion rhetoric. It simply does not match reality. If you have seen an ultrasound, you know that the unborn child is quite alive. To abort that child is to violently take that baby's life. Pregnant women obviously can face health challenges, and those need to be addressed in a life-affirming, compassionate way. But purposefully ending an unborn child's life is not a healthy outcome. It really doesn't matter how many times the governor of Pennsylvania posts abortion is health care. Those with eyes to see and hearts to understand recognize the inescapable fact that abortion is deadly for the unborn child and can have gravely harmful effects upon the mother who is left to grieve the loss of that unrepeatable human life. I hope and pray that there will be a day when the governor of Pennsylvania posts the truth about abortion, that it is a tragedy which takes one life and wounds another soul. Remmel. Thank you, Maria. That was so well well articulated. Uh, I've noticed that that the governor's uh, Twitter feed often has this uh, phrase, abortion is healthcare, but... I think what you just shared uh, reveals the true nature of abortion. It's just it's just a slogan that everybody's been using without really knowing or uh, thinking too much about what exactly abortion does. So thank you for that. And uh, I also thought I will share with our listeners a little inspiration. 
Um, we know that uh, 40 days uh, for life has kicked off in many parts of the world, and uh, we are two weeks in, and success stories are streaming in from several of the groups. And today, I just want to share with you one that appeared in my inbox. Um, this story is from the 40 Days for Life group in Pittsburgh. And this is another reminder of how impactful the use of fetal models can be while advocating for life. Um, this group talked about an upset looking mother and daughter who approached their table at the 40 Days for Life vigil in Pittsburgh. And uh, they were looking at the fetal model display that prayer warriors set up on the sidewalk. Now, one of the volunteers was concerned that um, concerned because she thought they looked angry. And as she saw them walking up to the fetal display, she went up to, she went over just to make sure that they're not planning on knocking it over. But as she approached them, what she saw was that they weren't scowling, but that the younger of the two was instead weeping. It turns out that her mother, so uh, these are the words of, uh, of the local leader there, Nikki, who reports that it turns out that her mother was encouraging her to abort, but she did not feel right about it. And this young woman, she was very conflicted. And so they assured her, encouraged her, gave her some material, and the woman changed her life and changed her mind and chose life for her baby. Now, the idea that this woman came in with was that the, she, she was in an abusive relationship and she was hoping that abortion would help her get free. But these women who were standing out there, um, whether it was rainy or sunny or shiny or snowy, we don't know. Um, but the sidewalk counselors out there were able to talk to the woman, offer genuine help and resources for her to make the choice that she needs, for, for her to make the choice that will set her free. And that was not abortion. So that day, um, this group of brave sidewalk advocates were able to save one life. And, uh, and we have a few more weeks to go, 40 days for life. And so we pray that more lives may be saved. And we also want to give a shout out to the shout out to this group of, of pro-lifers in yeah. Pittsburgh. Now, on to our guest, Father Shannon J. Bouquet. As president of Human Life International, Father Bouquet is is a leading expert on the international pro-life and family movement, having journeyed to nearly 90 countries on pro-life missions over the last decade. He was ordained in 1993 and is a priest of the Homer Thibodeau Roman Catholic Diocese in Louisiana, his home state, where he served before joining Human Life International in August of 2011. Father Bouquet gives numerous talks at conferences and symposia in the United States, as well as at several international conferences, speaking on issues in the field of bioethics as they relate to human dignity and the sacredness of human life from conception to natural death. He also works with pro-life and family leaders in over 116 countries that partner with Human Life International to proclaim and advance the gospel of life. Wow, that is very incredible. And so we're excited <laughs> to have this conversation started. Welcome, Father Shannon, to Positively Pro-Life. Well, thank you, uh, Remel and, and Maria. It's great to be with you both today. And thank you for inviting me. Of course. Uh, we are very, uh, I mean, this is this is so impressive that I have so many questions. But I think we let's start out with um, 
what are I, I understand that there are several issues that uh, Human Life International deals with. So my first question would be, what are some of the current issues that you are focused on? Sure. So, you know, the main topics that HLI has historically dealt with, you know, really are the fundamental issues that affect life and marriage. So the issues of contraception, which lead to a, an abortion mindedness, you know, the issues that re, uh, reproductive technologies that affect marriage and conjugal love to uh, the whole issues of embryonic stem cell research. So any science that's dealing with or impacting human life. Uh, and as Maria said so beautifully uh, and earlier was that, you know, in abortion, uh, the, there's no benefit to the child. And so it, so it cannot be healthcare. There is nothing that benefits the child. And as we know, the mother is wounded in, in this whole moment of time. So these are the kinds of things that HLI has been engaged in. Uh, also at the end of life with euthanasia, physician-assisted suicide, and so these are our main topics. And of course, from those topics, Remel, uh, many things flourish from those, of course. And so which broadens our conversation and the network uh, that we're engaged in, uh, in the support of the culture of life. So what is happening on the international front with regards to abortion and euthanasia? So as we know, if I may just make reference to the Dobbs case, you know that uh, the overturning of a very unjust law here in the United States had a real positive impact uh, in the global environment where we see, especially the United States and other developed nations imposing uh, a, a, a reproductive health care, i.e. contraception, abortion, euthanasia, uh, sterilization on the world, that what the world sees is that all of a sudden uh, a very uh, bad law can be overturned. So it encouraged the international community to say, okay, what are we doing? So in many places where abortion has been legalized uh, in the countries, you can see, as we're doing today, people advocating to change that bad law and to promote legislation that advocates for life, protects human life from the moment of conception uh, to its natural end. And so what Dobbs did is it inspired people mm -hmm. to stand up even more and say, OK, we got to keep fighting. we got to keep going. So you see uh, countries like Hungary that has uh, since 2012 with its Easter constitution that reorients the country back toward protecting human life, or as we see in Poland uh, in 1993, which changed its constitution, again, to reaffirm the dignity of life. Now, it doesn't mean everything is perfect. The battle continues uh, daily because of the mindset of our world. Uh, Africa is really ground zero today. India is another country that is uh, bombarded by Western mentality. So it really is a challenge for us as we deal with the issue of contraception, abortion, sterilization, all the various things uh, that affect the culture of life that we're trying to, uh, to flourish and build, uh, we have to challenge. So I would say some of the main challenges today is, uh, is undoing bad legislation, undoing bad law. But as we know, law is not enough. You have to change minds and hearts. You have to change a people's understanding of the dignity of marriage, the beauty of marriage, the ends of marriage, uh, that uh, marriage is indeed a, a sacred institution and that in, in every time a couple engages in conjugal love, that there's always the mindset of the fruitfulness of that love, which is the child, that's always possible from that union. So we really have to teach people uh, and reorient them. So I think, uh, Maria, that's some of the challenges. Well, you highlighted very well um, that 
countries are also turning away from bad legislation. So I think in some ways we are making so much progress, uh, but we are, we are like you also um, shared right now, there is a lot, there is also a lack of education and understanding among the general mm -hmm. public. So I was wondering, um, what is Human Life International's work in all of this? How do you, how do you reach out and how do you uh, work with the different countries? Well, you know, when people ask me in an elevator, what does HLI do? Very simple. You know, it's, we, we really are, uh, are fundamentally a Catholic educational missionary apostolate. And in that phrase, you kind of capture, we advance the Catholics, Catholic Church's teaching on the dignity of human life. And we uh, do this through formation, training, education. And we're also missionary, which means we're global. We work around the world. So to answer your, your question, and that is, let's say that if you were in Goa, India, right, I would go and say we met at some event, I, we introduced to each other, and I find out that you're doing remarkable work on the ground there. My question would always be, what can I do to help you? How can I support you? And this is what HLI has done for 52 years, is support the pro-life movement and the pro-family movement around the world and by supporting local leaders. And we do that by educating people in the United States, just as you're doing today through this beautiful program, forming people's minds and hearts, raising awareness, encouraging people to be generous with their resources, in this particular case, financial resources, which then HLI would take. And then we give grants to the international pro-life movement around the world. So it's not just finance. So uh, as an educator, I help them by providing resources with personnel. So we have a number of people that are working with resources, creating resources, materials. Uh, Brian, Dr. Brian Closed, uh, Adolfo Castaneda, many others uh, that are working with me in education, actually travel around the world with our teams uh, to do workshops, uh, to uh, train the trainers, and then help the trainers by mentoring them, overseeing them, making, making sure that what they're teaching is, stays true. And, uh, and, and then help them to train other people. So it really is just like this beautiful radio program is how to bring knowledge, information, but then what do we do after? So you have the beautiful part of coming back and reforming, re-educating, reteaching, and that's what we do as well. So it's, uh, that's what it requires. So we have worked in 162 countries and, uh, and the privilege of, uh, of being right now in 116 on the ground, working with local leaders, uh, whether that be civil leaders, uh, church leaders, uh, leaders who have an impact on the culture. That's who we advocate or we uh, try to engage in conversation. Why is the work of pregnancy resource centers so important? Well, this is our intervention. So as uh, Rimmel made that beautiful story about 40 days, a very powerful impact and uh, a necessary impact in today's world where people have become so desensitized to the dignity of human life and the service to our sisters in need. Pregnancy care centers really uh, aim at serving both. They serve the woman in need and they serve the child in need. It's, it's a both and. And pregnancy care centers really are where we live out the gospel of the Good Samaritan, where we literally give of ourselves, our time, our resources, our finances, and say, we are here with you. We accompany you. We stand with you. You're not alone. We will walk with you through this journey that not only are we concerned about your, you and your child, but we're concerned about next year, two years from now, three years from now, whatever it takes 
to put you on your feet so that you can provide for your family, take care of your children, and, and have the resources you need. And uh, this is what pregnancy care centers do. So there is an immediate response, obviously, to a woman in crisis, a situation that she considers to be difficult. Um, and maybe it can be that she's not abortion-minded. She may be having difficulties in her family. She may be having difficulties with her husband or boyfriend or situation. And so the pregnancy care center enters in to that moment and says, again, here we are. What can I do to help you? And on the international level, that is the same model that's uh, around the world. You know, I'll be in Mexico City in June for the gathering of the local centers for the help of women, which right now are numbering well over 170 comes centers for the help of women around Latin America. And even in places where abortion is not legal and may not even be happening. Uh, and so, but the centers are there to serve. That's to me the key is being there with an open door to provide what is needed, what we can do to help a woman in need, a mother in need, a family in need, and to walk with them along that route. So I would encourage our listeners, if you're not familiar with a pregnancy care center, then it's important for you to, to get to, to know where they are and to support them. And if you don't have one in your community, ask yourself, what can we do to create one? How do we form one? Uh, I was just in, uh, recently in Jasper, Indiana. I was in Milwaukee you know, for an event there to support a pregnancy care center. Uh, and uh, it's so beautiful in the city of Milwaukee right now on, on my own head counting. You know, I know of seven centers just in the Milwaukee proper, you know, and, so, and yet they're expanding moving into the rural communities. So I'm a big advocate, you know, for, for pregnancy care centers. And we ourselves at HLI uh, support and fund pregnancy care centers around the world. Oh, that's incredible. Um, now, I just, I just want to get your perspective on this. Do you think America leads uh, several countries, both in, in terms in the culture of death as well as in the culture of life. Like I, I can see, I mean, you brought up India multiple times now and I'm mm. originally from there. So I can mm. see how, as you're speaking, I'm like, yes, um, a lot of our ideas, when you say that we are becoming westernized, uh, a part of that is also embracing a culture of death that um, that our, our community, uh, maybe a, certain, a specific type of culture of death that our communities didn't really um, celebrate and didn't really have a lot of I mean we, we we've always as far as I know we've had abortion in India but for, and on very different scales and um, for very different reasons but uh, do you think America is leading the way in both? It's a, it, it's a sad yes because the United States is really the one that's promoting uh, a very different and I guess the way for our audience to hear is as, as disciples of the Lord, as Christians, as people who believe in an ethic of human life, a beauty of human life, we have a very different, what we call an anthropology, that we, we start with the dignity of every human person without exception. Every person, you know, from the moment of conception has this inalienable dignity. It doesn't change. It doesn't decrease. It's the same. And each of us has it. And what's important is to advocate. So when we start with this dignity, then it, it, it advances our anthropology. It advances how we approach the service of human life, whether it be at the beginning or during the middle of life or at the end of life. It remains the same. We start with the human person and we end with the human person. But sadly, many people in the United States have a very different anthropology, a very different vision. 
and it's very uh, utilitarian. It, it approaches life as a thing to be used as a commodity. And so with that vision in mind, they advocate uh, for things that really do not respect human dignity. They violate human dignity and they violate the human person. And so sadly, our country is the one that is promoting this very uh, poisonous anthropology, this, this vision around the world. And having been in 91 countries, I see it with my own eyes. I mean, I can tell you our money that we give to the United Nations and through the United Nations uh, agencies, uh, that's the United Nations Population Fund, for example, USAID, for example, we see how they are advocating for reproductive sexual rights, i.e., contraception, abortion, sterilization, and also advocating now for uh, the whole issue around same-sex uh, relationships, the whole issue that we see now with gender dysphoria. You, all this now is being advocated by the United States. And this is not something for us to be proud of. It, it's, it's sad. You know, I'll give you an example. Uh, under the Trump administration, you know, where we were able to advocate in, in ways that we never thought we would have for the dignity of human life. Uh, Puerto Rico is a good example. Uh, there were two centers that were offering uh, abortion, and one of them was funded privately. The other was being funded through USAID. The day that Trump re-instituted uh, the Mexico City policy and then added more intensification to it, the abortion facility in Puerto Rico that was funded by the U.S. closed its doors. So it makes a huge difference when we follow principles that advocate for life. And, you know, look at the United States, which I think would be a better way of advocating. Some of the states now are allocating money to be used for pregnancy care and giving money to pregnancy care centers, not because of their religious stance, but because they're advocating for women and advocating for human life. Look at the prime minister of, uh, of, of Italy, who herself uh, says that she's not necessarily going, and I'm, this has now maybe changed in, uh, since I've last uh, read up on this, that she's not necessarily going to go after the abortion law. That can be addressed in one way. But what she wants to do is make where abortion is not even a mindset. So she wants to change that. Well, how do you change that? Well, that's where, again, putting money into pregnancy care centers, advocating for the family, finding programs that support family life, marriage, the, the sacredness of marriage, the fidelity of marriage. These are ways that our country could be doing the same around the world instead of advocating for things that destroy human life. And if I may say, in Africa, one of our directors there, Emil Hagamu in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, says contraception doesn't make clean water, abortion doesn't make good schools or hospitals, and you know it doesn't create good infrastructure. It doesn't create farming equipment. It doesn't do any of that. It doesn't change the systemic reasons why we have poverty. And we see this in India. You made reference to that as I have done. And I have been in India many times. I'll be back there in October. And I see with my own eyes, you know, where uh, in, like in Africa, as in India, many people have no access to clean water. And yet we know what clean water does for human health. And yet, but they have access to contraception access to sterilization, which doesn't create clean water. It doesn't create infrastructure that's needed. So we have to change the narrative and we have to show that only in serving human life and helping authentic human flourishing, can we truly advance society and the common good. Abortion does not serve the common good. Contraception does not serve the common good. You know, so we, we really have to be honest with people and expose the great lie. We've got about three minutes left, and I'm wondering if you can share with us 
how did you get involved in pro-life ministry? Well, Maria, it started very early in my life. I mean, I'm very fortunate in South Louisiana to be raised in a good Catholic culture, family orientation. Uh, and so, and, and really where the faith was not just something that we said we had, but that we lived. And I was modeled that by my family, by people in the community. So I would say that my pro-life work began in the womb. You know, just the, <laughs> the idea is that, you know, my family was so indeed welcoming to this conversation and supported that narrative. And so as I grew and was formed uh, in this mindset, uh, it naturally grew uh, into a, 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 just a, a way of life. And so I started very young in getting involved in the pro-life movement uh, in seminary time, uh, obviously in my first years of ordination, always engaged in this conversation. But uh, it wasn't until 2011 that I, when I received a phone call uh, that it moved up into an international level. Uh, which I would never have expected. And I never thought I would be uh, really a missionary. I'm a diocesan priest uh, and uh, never thought the Lord would uh, call me into the mission field. So it's been a great joy, a great privilege uh, now these nearly 13 years uh, to, to serve the church's universal mission, the culture of life, to proclaim the gospel of life. So it's a, it, it grew naturally and it's still growing, still growing. Oh, that... Um, when I was in in college, uh, I mean, in what we call college there, which was uh, 12th grade in high school, uh, Human Life International had a con had a had a little session that they did at church, and I remember sitting through that session, and it, and it's funny that it, it's just coming up back to me right now because that was one of those places where we were told um, where I heard the truth about uh, children are not a right and are not a possession. So, you know, whichever way we argue for, you know, like, oh, oh, I should have the rights to choose when and how I should have children. And if I want to have children, then I should have the means to do that, no matter the means. So a lot of these things, uh, and I, and that was a very impactful session. So I just remember that from this conversation that we're having right now, I wish I, I knew who, uh, I remember the name of the person as well. I did not, but I want to say thank you because I know the impact of Human Life International in India is real. So thank you, um, thank you. can you tell our listeners right. today how they can get in touch with you if they have any questions? Uh, there are people sure. outside of uh, outside of a country who need help and they're they're aware of that. Can you give us well, details? Sure. Main, main way to do is that we all have our websites. They can go to www.hli.org. And there are many resources available to them and also contact information. Uh, so always willing to help, always willing to be of assistance. And uh, if not ourselves, always because we collaborate with so many people, we can help people to find the resources they need. So again, I thank you both for, you know, for giving me the chance, Maria and, and Rimmel, to be with you. I hope we get together again and uh, have a little more time. Maybe we can talk about the commodification of children. Maybe we can make that one of our subjects to talk about. Uh, that would be very enlightening. Oh, that would be great. Father, thank you so much for joining us today on Positively Pro-Life. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you, Maria. Look forward to being with you in Rebel again very soon. Positively Pro-Life is made possible through the generous support of the members of the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation all across the Commonwealth. The Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation is the largest single-issue pro-life organization in the Keystone State. Thank you for joining us today, and remember there is always a reason to choose life.